0: stand for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words and as people migrated from the east they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there and they said to one another come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the people of the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we have a guest speaker. We have the privilege of, and I have the privilege of welcoming Eric Chabonet, um, who is the pastor of Pillar Baptist Church in Fremont. I am thankful to be able to call Eric a friend, a fellow pastor, a brother in Christ who loves God, loves the Lord loves his church, loves his word, and that is something that I definitely do not take for granted because the reality is that our world and our day, more and more people do not find a love for Christ and a love for his word. And so we're thankful for this, not just for Eric, but also for Pillar and their partnership together in the gospel. So Eric, on behalf of Wellspring, thank you for just delivering and preaching and proclaiming Christ. And uh, as I heard this morning, looking forward to all that you would have to say to us. So let's give him a warm welcome.
1: Well, grace and peace to you from the saints at Pillar Baptist Church in, in Fremont. If Pastor Sam's not preaching, he's playing the electric guitar or with the youth, uh, well, you have an omni-competent pastor, and uh, he is a dear friend and an example to me. And I just want to say, because I said in the first service, uh, congratulations to Pastor Sam and Sue for 27 years of marriage, which they celebrated this past weekend. Well, it's my joy to bring God's Word to you. You've heard the Word. I hope you have your Bibles at the ready. Uh, and we will be reviewing and looking over Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. But before we do that, Let's come to God in prayer. Spirit of truth, guide us now in all truth as we study and focus our attention on your holy and living word. Feed our souls. We long for the truth of your word. I pray, God, that you would humble the proud and build up the brokenhearted and increase our faith. And above all, reveal yourself to us through the exposition of scripture. We long to know and to worship you more deeply. We pray, use this sermon and this worship service to that end. Glory to God the Father, who is one with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, amen, amen. Well, the story of Babel, as you well know, is ancient. It is an ancient story that is all too modern. We might say that it is timeless because it is. It is the story of fallen humanity trying to build a secular city. Mind you, it was not so much a tower that they sought to build, but a city. A city and a tower. A city with a tower, presumably, as its center. Ancient Babel was founded by a man named Nimrod according to Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, in the land of Shinar. Nimrod was, if you will, he was the first Babylonian. His name means rebel. Nimrod was a tyrant. He was a despot who established his power by vicious conquest and force. And we discover here in Genesis chapter 11 that the kingdom he built these, these primitive Babylonians, they followed in the spirit of their father. They, in an attempt to build and organize godless society, built Babel and the Tower of Babel. And by godless society, by, by secular society, I, I do not mean that there was no place for a god or religion in ancient Babel. Rather, I'm quite sure that these early Babylonians believed in God and were, if you will, pro-religion. And so what I mean by secular and godless is not atheism because paganism and pagans still believe in God, but their gods are all too human. They are humanized gods. God's who can, they can be appeased, and, and God's that can be manipulated, who can be angered, who can be pacified by human means, and thus, controlled. Church, I suggest to you that the idea here at Babel is that with the right technique, with the right technology, and with the right expertise, we can domesticate God. Not so much that we ascend into the heights, but it's that we can bring him down. We can entice him and manipulate him to come down and to bless us. Friends, like all ancient Near East religions and, and like the Greek pantheon of gods and all man-made religion, really, these Babylonians believed that God was like them. They assumed that, that God was human like them or, or, or human-ish. And thus, their God could be enticed and manipulated and controlled, which, which, mind you, only makes the one who entices, manipulates, and controls greater than the God who is being manipulated and controlled. This, friends, is the name that they seek to make for themselves. Look at verse four. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. I suggest to you this morning that this isn't some simple story, a bunch of people building a big, tall tower. That is, that is too crude. That is too basic, and that is, well, it's too simplistic. You see, they are not so much trying to go up as they are trying to bring God down, in order to de-God God, and thus deify themselves. This is what all pagan religion does. This is what all humanist, secular societies do. This is what fallen humanity does. Man becomes the measure of all things. Human achievement and, and expertise and ingenuity and they always try to humanize God, bring him down. Why? Why? In order to deify man. Look what we can do. Look what we have accomplished. Friends, the story of Babel is ancient, but it is all too modern. Here we see civilization built on human technology alone. Bent on human wisdom alone and so we hear, look at verse 3, and they say, come, let us. And then verse 4 again, come, let us. No, church, these are God's words. God said, come, let us make man. But fallen humanity says, come, let us make ourselves. Make a, a name for ourselves. Our own name and our greatness and, and our fame will be epitomized in this great city, built by us, by our wisdom and might. And people will come. They will come to our city and they will marvel at what we have done. And they will say, who did this? Who, who built this great city? One of the greatest preachers who ever preached who held thousands and tens of thousands spellbound said this he said let the name of whitfield perish but christ be glorified let my name die everywhere let even my friends forget me if if by that means the cause of the blessed jesus may be promoted oh but these said to themselves let us make a name Beloved, this isn't just pride. This, this isn't just a cautionary tale about pride. There is more here. Brothers and sisters, what we have in Genesis 11 is a rival cosmology. It is a rival worldview. A worldview that builds companies and cities and societies and nations. This worldview gives gives rise to economies and cultures and tech sectors and industry. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad, but we cannot be so naive as to think that they are value neutral. They are not. Mankind, since the fall, builds on the foundation, on on the false foundation of human self-sufficiency. Babel, beloved, is a way of life. It is a way of thinking. It is a pattern of life. And we see this throughout Scripture. In both the Old and the New Testament, Babylon, while an actual people, and a real civilization, Babylon symbolized godless society, godless materialism, man-centered human achievement. These are epitomized in Babel. And beloved, God's judgment is on Babel. And so Genesis 11 is a severe warning, a warning to every generation and to all peoples and to every individual. Godless society, man-centered civilization is built on a rotten foundation. This is what Augustine, the fourth century church father, refers to as the city of man, built by man, built for man, for the glory of his name. The Bible is, as Augustine and Dickens wrote, a tale of two cities, the city of man and the city of God. But more on that toward the end. Now, let me give you an outline before I talk my way through this entire sermon. Uh, I'm going to organize our time this morning around five key words, five words. The first is unity, unity. Secondly, significance, Significance, and then safety, thirdly, safety, fourthly, judgment, and finally, a city, the city, the city of God, if you will, the new Jerusalem. As you know, Babel ends in failure. It ends in judgment. But what God builds and what Christ builds, even the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail. Jesus said, if you remember, to Peter in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. Okay, so you know where I'm going, and the cat is already out of the bag. Firstly then, unity. Now, not all unity is good, as is true here. Unity among sinners with sinful intent is and and will only lead to disaster. Disaster. This is an unholy unity, a unity against God. And, and notice that, that communication here in Genesis 11 is a, a great factor. They had a unified language, a universal dialect, if you will, used and abused for nefarious purposes. Friends, before Babel, we were linguistically advanced which demonstrates our primitive greatness. And in my mind, this proves that we're actually not getting smarter because sin has a spiraling effect. It has a corrosive, degrading effect on the mind of men. And so look at verses 1 and 2. My translation, I read the New King James here. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. The whole earth was unified under one language and and, and one speech. Not not that there weren't other languages. I, I believe that there were. It's that there was one universal uniting language. And notice this: that they moved eastward. They they moved eastward. This unified group moves east of. Eden. Adam and Eve were, were exiled out of the garden eastward. Cain is said to have departed from the presence of the Lord to dwell in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The land of Nod is literally the land of wandering, wandering as do all who depart from the presence of God. They wander further east, as it were, away from God's presence. And so here we read that sinful humanity, united in rebellion, sinful humanity, united under one tongue, they journey from the east and settle in the land of Shinar. Wanderers, as it were, just as Cain once was. And why did they unite? Why did they journey together? What were they looking for? Well, they tell us. Look at verse 3. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. They speak to one another with this united purpose, this, this collective rebellion And we read that uh, they gather together with all of their building materials. Now, this might not sound very technologically advanced to you. At first read, okay, they're, they're baking bricks. But if you know anything about ancient cultures, and the ancient Near East in particular, you know that empires were built with stone. They were carved out of mountains. Quarried stone was used predominantly for building things like thrones and the pyramids, monuments, palaces, and towers. But here, we read that they use brick instead of stone, and asphalt or bitumen for mortar. Now, bitumen was like a sticky tar. We use it to this day, uh, to waterproof roofs and all of our roads and the freeways. All of that to say that this may not seem technologically advanced to you, But it was advanced for that day, which speaks to the point. The more technological advancement that man attains, the greater he thinks he is. And often the lesser he thinks of God. And so so here they are, united, taking great pride in their technological advancement. United to build a city in a tower. United to build a city that celebrates the greatness of Men. Why? Why? What was, what is their goal and their end? Look at verse 4. They say, as with one voice, come, let us build ourselves, for ourselves, a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And here it is. Let us make a name for ourselves. And so our second word this morning is significance. Significance. They wanted to make a name for themselves, to establish themselves they sought fame and reputation said negatively they were insecure they they were insecure they felt insignificant beloved fallen sinful man is always looking for significance but let me say to you church that significance and purpose Your significance can only be found in the Creator. This is where and in whom we will find our identity and our significance. People boast today about all kinds of things, uh, ridiculous things. They take pride in their silly little towers. In my silly pastoral world, and it can be silly at times, it sounds like this Look at the church I built. Uh, Look at the books that I have published. Have you listened to my podcast because I spoke at? Oh, I went to this school. I have this or that degree. Beloved, it is is pitiful. Uh, How about, well, I work for that company. I built this startup. This is my investment strategy. Uh, I have this many followers, this many likes, this many retweets. It is absolutely ridiculous. And we are looking for significance in all, all of the wrong places. No, beloved. God made us. And and this is, he is the only place where you will find your true identity and your true significance. But this is Babel, you see. And Babel is all around us. In fact, it is in us. And if we do not come to God, then we will seek somehow, some way to build a babel of our own. Because if we're brutally honest, we want people to come to our city and to see our tower. And we want them to say, wow, so great, so amazing. Who did this? Who built this great city? Listen, friends, if you don't get anything out of this sermon, please get this. These people were trying to find significance and build significance in a world that revolved around man. But listen, church, God has so created this world and us and and you that you will never find true significance until your life revolves around and is built around God. Listen to Paul. He said this to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 5.15. He said, he, referring to Christ, he died for all that so that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Our third word this morning is safety. Safety. Oh, this is, this is big today. In our context, safety. Who doesn't want to be safe, secure? Mankind they see how vulnerable, we see how vulnerable we are. And so we seek to protect ourselves. Uh, secular governments do the same. Trust us. Uh, we can protect you. They promise. Now, we seek safety and security in all kinds of things today. What do we, what do, we do about all the economic unrest? What do we do about all the civil unrest? Violence and crime. Who will protect us from the climate crisis, the crisis at our borders? Uh, What can we do to protect ourselves from the onslaught of progressive culture, the collapse of the education system and traditional values? What can we do to protect ourselves and to keep our families safe? And so often, man turns to man, to man-made solutions. They turn to salvation by technology, by human wisdom, by, by human inventions and ingenuity. You hear salvation by capitalism. How about that? And free markets. Salvation by democracy and democratic elections. So how about this one? Salvation by private school. Oh, no, better yet, private Christian school. Oh, even better than that, homeschool, right? And I homeschool my kids, so here we go. I'm taking a shot at myself. Stronger borders, more recycling, better schools, higher wages, better health care, more technology. Again, these things are not bad per se. But we should not assume that all of these are value neutral. We should ask ourselves, what worldview is driving these safety measures? What is driving all of this hysteria? Look at verse 4. Let us build ourselves a city and a town. Why? Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, there's something sinister right here. Something diabolical. Because these Babylonians were seeking safety from God's commands, from his plans and purposes. Do you remember? It was God who said to Adam and then again to Noah, be ye fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God wanted his image bearers to spread out on the earth, to fill and to subdue it so that the whole world would be as a temple and as a monument to the worship and praise of God. But they wanted the exact opposite. They wanted to protect themselves from spreading out on the earth, filling it and subduing it. They wanted to protect themselves against God's commands. They wanted safety and security from God's commands and his will they were trying to protect themselves from the very thing that God told them to do but this my friends is backwards beloved God made man he provided for all of his needs and it is God who protects and provides he is our great defender our shield and defender Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Isaiah 25, verse 4, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Psalm 61, a shelter is God. God is a strong tower against our enemies. And you sing it, no doubt, at this church as we do at my church. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark. A rampart, a strong wall, as it were, a fortification, a bulwark, never faileth. But these men, these Babylonians, sought their safety and security in their own human achievement, in human, man-made, technological advancement in what they could build by their own devices. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, what are you trying to protect yourself from? Where do you find your security? I find it interesting today that all of the technology that is supposed to secure us and make us feel safe is the exact technology that is in fact making us feel insecure and unsecure. Now, let's be honest this morning. We were so scared of COVID. I'll be the first one to admit it. We were so scared about protecting ourselves, so much so that many of us suffered spiritually. And there are plenty of people who just never came back to church. They just never came back. And there, there are still folks who are trying to protect themselves from the very thing that God commanded us to do, that we come together as his people and give him the worship that he is worthy of. Beloved, I suggest to you that something sinister was at work here. What we fear will reveal what we worship. These Babylonians were afraid of being scattered, they felt vulnerable. They wanted to protect themselves. They, they wanted safety and security. And so they found it not in God, not in his commands, not in his revealed will, but instead in their own inventions, in their own devices, in their own ability and achievement. Why? What does this reveal? They sought safety in human technology and achievement and ingenuity because they worshiped themselves. Because they sought the glory of their own name. Let us make a name for ourselves. Beloved, have you noticed that it is usually those who seek their own glory who are the most insecure? Those who seek their own glory are quite often the most insecure. Would you turn with me if you have your Bibles in front of you? I hope you do to Psalm or turn your Bible on to Psalm chapter Three, as I know many of you have your Bibles on your phones. And I'll just read, let's read this psalm together. This is David. As he fled from Absalom, surrounded as it were by his enemies, he writes in Psalm chapter three, verse one, Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are those who say of me, there's no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Where was David's security and safety? He was surrounded by enemies, pursued by his own family members. Can you imagine if you were on the other side of the wall looking into Jerusalem and you see David, who is supposedly surrounded by enemies, take a nap? If I was on the other side of that wall, I would say, listen, guys, we're toast. He's taking a nap. He's not worried about it. He has some kind of secret weapon that we do not know about. Well, David's security was in the Lord, and so he could rest. He could, as it were, lay his head down to sleep. Fourthly, the fourth word this morning is judgment. Look at verse 5. There's a hard contrast in verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the sons of men had built. There's a hard contrast in verse 5 between sinful man and holy God. And please note, please note that God's judgment here is not so much that he scatters. No, uh, God scatters them in his grace. In kindness, he scattered them. Their being scattered is not judgment at all, but God simply accomplishing his will restraining their sin and accomplishing his will that and that beloved is a mercy he stopped their sin he reversed their sinful desires and purposes god flipped their sinister intent on its head and that beloved is a mercy And so we read in verses six and seven, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have all one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and here's the judgment. And they're confused, their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And so God restrains their sin. And this is a mercy. Mercy. Calvin wrote in his magisterial commentary about the flood, he said that the flood was a mercy. And I thought, really? Because God stopped their sin. God said this far and no further. And so while God comes down to judge, there is a mercy here nonetheless. God was restraining their sin and his wrath. His judgment then consists of the confusion of language so that they are now no longer able to communicate, to unite. And so it is the confusion of languages that was the judgment. And now, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is the confusion of language, tongues, if you will, which becomes a sign of judgment. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses, he is dispatching the people of Israel into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 28, Moses, speaking prophetically, says that if Israel broke covenant and rebelled pride against God, that that God would send judgment in the form of a people to plunder and conquer them, a people whose language you will not understand that is unrecognizable. And then in Isaiah chapter 28, in judgment, God speaking to Israel, he says with stammering lips, speaking to this people, this judged people, Israel, in a foreign tongue. And Paul understood this, which is why he quotes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Isaiah 28. Because these ethnocentric Jews, they believed that the church was only for Israel, for the Jews. But you know that the Bible is written in Hebrew and Greek, but there's another language. Does anyone know that language? What's the third language? The Aramaic was a Gentile language because the Hebrews were so ethnocentric and so when they heard the tongues, as from the Spirit of God, they knew Israel is being judged because the one universal language of the people of God is now the person and work of Jesus Christ in the proclamation of the gospel. Well, that's another sermon. I can't go there. And so God comes down in judgment here and he confuses their language, restraining and preventing further sin. And were it not for God's judgment, no doubt they would have Planned greater sin and and more rebellion. And so God sets, he sets a restraint around them, around their sin by this confusion. Man, Man only unites to rebel against God, as we said. And so God comes down to restrain further evil. Years ago when I was a younger man, I hope that I'm still a young man, but when I was younger, I was listening to a sermon on this passage on Babel. And the preacher said this, and I didn't understand it then, and I understand it a little better now. He said this, more frightening, more frightening than nations at war as we see today, more frightening than world war is a unified humanity. Unified under a new world order. He said, there will be more death under a new world order than would be as is today, with nations divided, with nations at war. Hmm. There's food for thought there. And if you don't believe me or this preacher, then just study the 20th century. See what godless society produced, the death camps, and the hundreds of millions who died in atheist communist regimes. Friends, I suggest to you that unity among sinners and unity and cooperation among sinners in a godless society, in society divorced from God, is more deadly and more dangerous than all of the national divisions and war that we see today. In other words, it could be far worse, but for God's restraining hand. Finally then, we compare and contrast the city of man with the city of God. As you know, Babel ends in failure, in judgment. What they sought to accomplish came to naught. Look at verses 8 and 9. so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all of the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all of the earth. And the name of the city of Babel, as you know, is on Poetic. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Right, this is Babel. Babel ends in failure and judgment. Unless the Lord builds, they who labor, labor in vain. In the days of Babel, God came down to judge. But there was coming a day when God would come down to save. Hallelujah. Where God would one day unite all things and all peoples, just as this church testifies. Heavenly things and earthly things, all to be united in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 says, He reconciled all things, making peace through the blood of his cross. Babel began with man reaching up in sin while God's church begins with God coming down to save us from our sin. It has been said that Babel was built on pride, built by human will and achievement, while God's church is built by the one who was content to be of no reputation, who humbled himself, who being found in the appearance of a man, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He who was in the very form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, something to take to himself. Something that he could snatch from God. In other words, he was not trying to make a name for himself. And therefore, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above all names. The name to which every knee will bow, those in heaven and on the earth, and then this chilling phrase, and those under the earth. My non-Christian friend, perhaps you're here. Somebody dragged you to church. There's lunch served. Perhaps I'll check it out. Jesus did not come down to condemn the world but that sinners might be saved from the just punishment of their sins, the punishment that we deserve. And he does so by laying down his life as a substitute for sinners, sinners like you and me. He died on a cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust in him. And then he rose on the third day to give eternal life to all and any who repent and believe. Turn away, non-Christian, turn away from your sin and unbelief. Turn away from yourself and turn to Christ the Savior. Turn or you will stand guilty before a holy, righteous, good, and loving God. And you will be condemned for your own sins and hell forever. Come to Christ today. Put your trust in him. He is the truth, the life, and the way. And when you do, you will be brought into the city of God. You will become a citizen of heaven. The Bible in a very real sense is a tale of two cities. The city of man, Babylon. The city of destruction as Bunyan once wrote. And the city of God, a new Jerusalem. The celestial city. This is the church of the living God. And so let me ask you today, to which do you belong? I'd like to close with this. Well, you know where Genesis 11 is leading us to. Well, you say, of course, Pastor, Genesis 12. Genesis 11 is, is pointing us to a man named Abraham. Genesis 12 is the calling of Abraham. Would you turn with me to Hebrews 11 and follow along with me as I read? And you'll see and understand as we read. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, familiar territory for most of us. Follow along in verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. God. Two cities in the world today, to which do you belong? Which one are you living for and in? I pray the latter. Jump with me to verse 13. These died in faith, not having received the promises, but but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. We seek this blessing, Lord. And in so doing, we confess our sins. And as we confess our sins, we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us, Lord, just as you promised For we have placed our full trust in Jesus Christ, our advocate, our propitiatory sacrifice, our Lord and Savior. As believers in this world, Lord, guard our hearts against the error of Babel. Make us ever watchful of the encroaching world and worldliness. God, our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and enable us to walk by that very same Spirit, And we know that our our confidence then will not be in ourselves, in our own power, in our own security, but in Christ, our advocate, our protector, our redeemer, our shield and our exceedingly great reward. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.